It's May 24th, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today on Box Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with community activist Jane Poole. Hi, Jane. Hi, Acacia. So, Jane, how long have you been in Greenpoint? I got about almost 20 years. My son is 19. That's how I, I figure it out because I think I got pregnant the first day I moved here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah crazy. All right, well, so talk to me a little bit of, in your 20 years, almost 20 years of being here, how the Greenpoint's environment has had an influence on you and your family and family's lives and how it's been raising children here. Yeah. Um, when we first moved here, we I'd lived in lower Manhattan, which was denser, and then moved here, and I wanted a place with a garden because I love to be outside, and I love my hands in the dirt, and I grew up with that. And I um, noticed that on some days... Greenpoint, after we got this beautiful apartment and I started working on my garden, that um, Greenpoint smelled like poop sometimes. It was kind of astounding. And I started talking to people and I found out that we had one of the biggest wastewater treatment, you know, sewage treatment plants in the northeastern United States, right here in good old Greenpoint. <laughs> I'm like, what? That wasn't in the ad of the beautiful garden apartment. <laughs> so, uh, but then I quickly learned that there was a big, um, at the time I heard a $4 billion uh, project capping the sewage treatment plant so the smell would not, and everybody was saying, oh, it used to be a lot worse. I'm like, wow, it's, it's bad sometimes depending on how the wind, the prevailing winds. But, um, and then soon it was, oh, it's a $6 billion project. But they did a, a good job because it does not smell anymore. Um, but then uh, we love the neighborhood. Got to, it's, it's a neighborhood. It's still neighborhoody. Um, but back then um, we met a bunch of old timers. And, you know, my son was born. And so you walk slowly everywhere. And, you know, I met a lot of old people. And every Friday night, my husband and I would go out to dinner with um, a group of people like in their 70s and 80s behind L.A. Pizzeria in the, the wooden, dark, paneled room. They had still have spaghetti back there. And they said, we're going to find you a house that doesn't go on the market. And they did. And so that's how we kind of ended up staying. Um, but then suddenly uh, there was word that they were going to put this big power plant on the East River. And uh, I think when Bo was really little, I missed the Con Ed fight, but the idea of this wonderful neighborhood with all these kind people uh, having what would have been one of the biggest power plants in New York City right down around the corner was kind of devastating, but I guess with a history of organizing activism kind of stuff, I felt like, hey, okay, I'm in. What are we gonna do? We can't have this. And uh, it was an amazing experience uh, to learn, about, and a great way to learn about the environmental history of this community uh, because we immediately, you know, you hear about NIMBY and not in my backyard, but I started to learn, oh, we have an oil spill three times the size of the Exxon Valdez. And 
I lived here for a, quite a while and never heard about that. I lived in Greenpoint and I didn't know about the oil spill. Huh. I knew about the Exxon Valdez, which was tiny comparatively, and Don dishwashing, cleaning the baby mallards, but why didn't I know about this one? And so that was kind of shocking. Then I learned, you know, through the power plant fight and meeting all these environmentalists and activists about, oh, the right to know sites. And I'm like, what are right to know sites? And it's like, oh, well, those are places that pollute to a level that they have to be on this list. And it's like, how many do we have? It's like, 211. I'm like, what? 211? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and... I just thought, oh God, okay, what else? <laughs> it just seemed like it just kept piling up. And I thought, oh my gosh, okay, we really can't have this power plant. So tell me about your, your fight against the power plant. Um, I, you know, immediately uh, just alert. We had a, a, bi a big coalition right already from the Con Ed power plant fight, which I was not involved in. Um, but, you know, I just felt like, okay, I need a role. What am I going to do? And I had booked um, punk rock bands and hardcore bands in the 80s in Ohio. And uh, I thought a benefit concert would be a good idea. And I was kind of obsessed with the thought that um, I also had lived in lower Manhattan years. And I didn't know that Con Ed plant was there. I never knew that. Till I moved to Greenpoint and looked from the waterfront across the river and saw this big power, the Con Ed power plant. I thought, what? You know, it's amazing what you don't know and how easy it is not to know. I mean, if you don't seek out information, often you never learn about it. Right. And that's kind of a constant uh, issue in this neighborhood, but um, everywhere. But um, yeah, so I did, I, I gave you that list that I had of um, ideas because I thought we, Manhattan has to worry about this power plant because it's, it's gonna be an 1100 megawatt power plant. When there was this discrepancy, I think our community was saying 2000 tons of toxic emissions would be spewed out around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then the power plant developer said no, 1,000 tons of toxic emissions a year. And I thought, oh, well, if we figure out how many tons a day is that? I mean, it's kind of astounding. And then I learned, oh, our, we don't really have an energy plan. So, and there, we didn't need this power plant. It wasn't that we had to have a power plant. It was that this power plant, plant developer um, was allowed to put a power plant, if he could get the permit, he could put it wherever the hell he wants. And I thought that was crazy that we didn't have this great plan. Well, we need one here, and that's why we're doing it. When you think about the particulate matter and what that particulate matter consists of and putting it in a densely populated area, and then learning about the South Side and all that they've been through and the asthma rates and the cancer rates and the North Side. And you think, that, what? This seems impossible. It just seems like, wow, this is 2000 something. And 
people aren't saying, no, I mean, come on, that's crazy. You can't possibly put this power plant that's not necessary in this densely populated area that has high cancer and asthma rates. You shouldn't even have to fight that. I mean, you would just think that people would be reasonable enough. But it's not how it is. So then I kind of thought, okay, well, people in Manhattan need to freak out over this because they're not listening to us over here. Or we have to keep making noise. But we need, I wanted, at that point, Bloomberg wasn't getting involved. And um, we were doing things like we did this. Uh, we got 10,000 postcards. I mean, I don't know how much I should talk about the power plant. No, absolutely. But, um, yeah, I remember with my with Bo sitting and and Michelle Ra or Michelle uh, from Ag was amazing with organizing the postcard drive, and uh, we collected ten thousand postcards that people had to fill out because it was really before the social media and um, computer. You know, I mean, there were emails that went out, but there was so much paper, right. and we thought that. It has to be postcards because not everyone has a computer. Now they do. Now we all have phones. But um, I remember, uh, you know, uh, thinking we have to get more attention. So um, I wanted a big sign to be on the waterfront somewhere. And I think Adam Perlmutter went to Norm Brodsky with that idea. And Norm Brodsky put a sign that said, Pataki, please help save this waterfront on city storage. And it got the attention of the Daily News and we had a, um, a press conference on a boat and um, a water taxi. They donated, or somebody donated, a government water taxi donated. We had this press conference in the news, New York One or whatever, and um, with the big sign in the background, which you couldn't really see well from Manhattan, but you could see coming over the Williamsburg Bridge, so that was good. And it felt like this, and we had 10,000 postcards, and we were gonna go deliver them to Pataki's office that day. And so we had this press conference, and we took the 10,000 postcards to Pataki's office. I remember, I don't remember who all was there. I know Rolf and Rolf Carl, and maybe then Teresa, and Julie Lawrence probably, and Laura, I think Laura and Mike Hoffman. We're like, on, get to deliver these um, postcards, and they wouldn't let us upstairs and they wouldn't take them, so we had to bring the 10,000 postcards back to Green, back to the NAG office, of course, because everything went back to the NAG office. Kind of um, in the rain, I remember it rained around the train with these damn postcards. How dispiriting. I know, it's funny. I mean, it's just funny looking back at that. But then we used them later uh, to, uh, we had a, um, a rally with, thousands of people at Warsaw. And there were, it was so packed that you know people couldn't get in. There were people in the streets. It was crazy. It was amazing. And we delivered them to a bunch of, of people from the siting board and some judges. Uh, it was a big meeting. All right. And I think Adam Victor had, I guess union people have to attend certain events or hearings each year mm -hmm. and he got like 300 union people to come pack the front so they were all in the front row 
And then we had thousands of people show up. But it was interesting. We were talking to a lot of the union people and explaining, this is not going to be better for you. And they were there like, yeah, like, sorry, yeah, we have to do this. <laughs> so they, they only had like one guy I think they paid to be a big pain in the ass and yell. But I remember just thinking, wow, what a community. Our um, public forum with all these people. And we delivered the postcards finally. <laughs> they couldn't turn them down with all the press and all the people. But when our community members got up to talk, I just felt so proud because it wasn't just this NIMBY, this isn't fair, not in our backyard. People got up and said, oh, I, I'm so and so, you know, I'm here to talk about particulate matter, specifically PM 2.5 and PM 10. And next person got up, hi, I'm so and so, I'm here to talk to you about the coastal management plan of New York City. And it was like, and our, our community was politely correcting the lawyers on the other side when they were speaking. No, 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 I'm sorry, but blah, blah, blah. You know, people had documents. No, 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 in 2003, that changed, and that, that no longer, that ran out. And I mean, it was just amazing. Our community came together, um, the religious institutions, the, all the ethnic groups, the artists, the schools, the everybody came together and people became experts and learned how to strategize to fight off what would have been awful. And, and you won. And we won after eight and a half years. And, you know, and there were people that eh, didn't get along and said, we shouldn't be doing this and whatever. And I feel like, no, we needed all of us. I mean, it was... It was the community, and we won. It was amazing, and it was you know, and we, we made him spend like I don't know. Was, somebody said twenty two million dollars fighting us. Adam Victor, <laughs> he hated us. And I think Laura and Mike Hoffman had him on some some sort of Google alert, and he was talking about our community and other places and how horrible we were. Very proud of that. Um, so after that success, what did you move on to? Well, during that. I guess the, the well. So then I had decided I had booked um, punk rock, um, and done hardcore and punk rock benefit concerts um, before I moved to New York when I was in my early twenties, and I thought we need a big event that's going to get us attention in press elsewhere, and Patty Smith's drummer is a friend of ours. We used to have breakfast at Christina's um, restaurant often, like a few times a week. And we were friends. And uh, I started, you know, so Jay Darty would, uh, I was always uh, bugging Jay and Christine about the power plant. We became friends. And I just love those guys. And I would feed their cats when they go on trips or long trips. And um, so I started working on them about like, you think Patty would consider doing a benefit concert? And he's like, I don't know. And it just, you know, it took a minute, maybe. And then um, once I remember I was in Ohio at Thanksgiving when I got a call and um, visiting my family. And it was Jay. And he said, Okay, mom, we're on. I'm like, Are you kidding me? And he's like, Yeah, we can, we're doing it. I'm like, All right. And he, and he said, 
just please, like it has to be well organized. He said, we do so many benefit concerts that are horribly, horribly organized and we're waiting in the alley and there's no food and I'm like, okay, okay. So it was a great honor to um, organize that benefit. And I used the opportunity to go around and really try to engage businesses to participate and put signs in their windows and be a part of this. And I got the best gift table for the um, for everybody, the band, and and for Patty Smith. People were so amazed that she was coming to Warsaw. It was before we had lots of concerts here, so we hadn't had anything like that right. yet right. here. So that was really cool and fun, and uh, she was amazing. And uh, but then all of a sudden, people were contacting. So then people were like, "Okay, so you're our fundraiser," and I was like, "Huh? Like what?" <laughs> what do you mean? And um, and initially it was like, we need $50,000. And so the Patti Smith concert did a lot to help with that. But then suddenly it was like, oh, it's 120000 Now we need 120000 And hurry and whatever. And I'm like, what? And so I thought that was not my aim to be um, the, the fundraiser for this um, effort. But I just started uh, doing it because everybody said, that's what you, you are. And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> um, Steve Hindy right away started helping me. He was at the concert, and we sat at the bar and talked, and then he started talking to me about, like, you know, we really should start a parks conservancy for this area. There isn't one. And he started talking about the open space. And um, Joe Vance and actually... Norm Brodsky, John Tapper, Aggie Mo I, I really have to bring up, she lives in Hawaii now, but, um, Aggie Mulaney Strauss, uh, and I worked on that benefit, the Patti Smith Benefit concert together. And she was wonderful, and she was a really like great, great at getting up in front of a crowd and, and um, stirring people up. And we had a lot of fun. And... Uh, and so Aggie and I were asked to help start this Open Space Alliance. And, um, but the cool thing that people don't know is our first act was uh, uh, an activist group. So it's really, OSA was not like this normal like parks conservancy where people write big checks and wear pretty cashmere sweaters. Um, our first event was... Uh, we were working with the Trust for Public Land to try to buy a parcel of land on the Bushwick Inlet that would block waterfront access to the power plant developer because he needed to sell steam to Con Ed across the river. And so our first act, we were trying to buy that land with TPL to block, um, to mess with the power plant developer, which is kind of interesting, you know. You think of a Parks Conservancy, and that's not, not a normal one. And uh, let's see, so, so um, yeah, with the power plant, and then quickly I was asked to join the NAG board, and I had just come to adore Peter Gillespie, and then Felice Kirby, and I'm like, oh my God, Felice Kirby, she's so cool, and Peter, oh, and... I just kind of, I had become friends with a lot of these people, but some of them I just 
thought were so badass and smart and it just felt like such a big honor to sit down and like learn from and try to help however I could. And so then I got involved in the NAG board, but then at the same time, my kids were going to school here too. And my son went, went to 132, and I remember <laughs> outrage being on Metropolitan, you know, right in front of our school, counting trucks and being out with outrage, <laughs> like showing up to count trucks, but oh, they have enough truck counters and just standing out there and thinking, Here's, here's our neighborhood. We're counting trucks because we have almost all of the city's waste coming through here. And so that's more information. And then, you know, my daughter went to PS34 and they had two playgrounds. It's, and it's on McGinnis and Norman. And one of the playgrounds was right on McGinnis. And again, another truck route. And I would stand there and I watch the truck stop at the stoplight right next to the playground. And then they'd start up again. And the big black puffs of smoke come out of the trucks. And I thought, okay, I gotta go talk to the principal now and tell him we cannot have uh, recess on this side of the building. And they're like, oh, we've always done that. I'm like, yeah, well, the asthma rates are terrible here. And oh, you know what we'll do? We'll do a big thing. We'll get all the kids to wear masks. It'll be fun. Oh, oh, I'll call. Um, this guy makes these great uh, air quality um, monitoring devices. We'll get those. The kids can learn. And they're like, yeah, okay, okay. So then they quit having a recess. <laughs> well, I'm like, just stand there for freaking five minutes with me, will you? And look at, look at how many big black puffs of smoke. And the kid's running, and their lungs are... It's like, it's in common sense, people, uh, yeah, but that worked, that was easy. <laughs> um, but uh, then I, uh, I'd always kind of noticed there was a waxy smell near our little crooked house that we bought. And uh, yeah, one of our right to know sites, um, actually a couple of them were near me. And there was a plastic bag pack. So I, I became a 311 crazy lady where yes. I would walk around. I figured out, you know, when you call 311 to make a complaint, they ask you, what's the address? And you can say, oh, it's, you know, this address. And they'll put street instead of avenue. That doesn't exist. You have to be patient. It doesn't take that long. But... Um, that's kind of the curse of Greenpoint is that we do have a lot of industry next to residential, right? We do. Still. Yeah, and there's a, there are agencies there to fight for those, those companies, and they're more powerful than anyone. <laughs> and they, I was told once there was a different place that I was fighting um, for a while, and we found that they just weren't, and they, they did like luxury architectural molding, and they found that, well, they weren't changing their filters. And the reason was that they're $20,000 for the filters and they should be changed every um, six months. And then I was told by an agency to help their, the business, well, you should be fundraising to buy their filters. I'm like, but 
their website's all about luxury and blah blah <laughs> and I'm like what uh, me okay you are the fundraiser that, that's, Jen that's a uh -huh. not really <laughs> I, I don't know anyway um yeah yeah so it's like but they're doing better with their um, filters. Yeah. So well, tell me about what you, good changes you've seen environmentally in the neighborhood since you've lived here. Go ahead, Ann. <laughs> um, actually, the plastic bag factories are gone. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's really because of real estate prices and math. And it's like, yeah, they can do better having other businesses and right. having people live there. Ooh, probably bad. But anyway, um, that has helped. So now we have all this construction. We have how many more towers to be built? At least nine, right? Yeah, more than that. Nine. Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah. I can't remember if it was 13. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I'm astounded at the, how many times I've been walking and find, oh, it's snowing. And it's styrofoam. And that is upsetting. And I'm watching, you know, the, the people like me who are always worried. And I'm, I'm like a, you know, like my cats. My cat, I have two cats. And their tails are twitching because they're always at each other. They're fun and they love each other. But they're also always chasing each other. And they're on alert. And I heard, I thought, why are their tails always twitching? They're getting so much love from us. And it's like, because they're always like chasing each other. And I thought, yeah, I'm like the damn cats. I walk around the neighborhood and I'm like, okay, what do we need to work on? Like, what's going on? Who do we need to? <laughs> and, you know, I worry about dust and I worry about pollution and I worry about the particulate matter, but what's in the particulate matter? If you test for these five things, what about the other 80? You know? Yeah. So I love, I mean, it's just amazing that NAG, which is now North Brooklyn Neighbors, and I'm on the firehouse board because I want to give North Brooklyn Neighbors a permanent home because they're what I consider kind of the most important of our, sorry, everybody. No. <laughs> but I really feel like we really need that group and we need them to stay vigilant and true and they're doing it and they need a permanent home yeah. so that's why i i'm on the firehouse board and not north brooklyn neighbors because i feel like they need a permanent home so i hope that we can we're, we're getting close that's great the firehouse yeah um but um we're at a point oh yeah nbn started this um air quality working group and that is just fantastic. Um, I love that the staff at NBN, you know, Anthony and Yale, and uh, wow, they're wonderful. And uh, Alan and Lisa and Nicole, it's like, yay, this is air quality. It's great. So um, we're concerned about the L train workers now. Mm -hmm. And Austin Horse has these cool, has friends who make these cool masks. Um, you know, there, I had breakfast with Ben Solitaire yesterday, and he said, oh, no, no, it's really, I think it's okay. He was on his way to an L-Train meeting to talk about air quality, 
I'm like, next time invite somebody from the air quality group. Because <laughs> it was L-Train um, Coalition. They're fantastic. And Felice is on that. So it should be fun. But um, I feel like, well, they say the silica levels and what they're testing is all good. But what else is there? What are they not testing? If, you're, if you don't test for something, then you don't know if those levels are okay. And um, my husband has a close friend. He's a friend of mine too, but he's a very close friend of my husband's who was a first responder on 9-11. And he has the cancer. And he is in remission again, but he, when it's bad, I mean, he has his funeral all planned out. My husband's the music talent for the funeral. I mean, they've talked about it many times, and it's heartbreaking. And they told everybody that it was okay. I knew that it wasn't. I thought, are you crazy? You can't tell them it's okay. But I was over here working on the power plant fight, and I guess I didn't know. Not that it, it's heartbreaking yeah. to think that people needlessly are suffering because they were told that everything was fine so I feel like you know what you gotta be really really fucking transparent when you say everything's fine you gotta be like okay everything's fine should be the pure intention in your heart and soul that you're like we are doing everything humanly possible this is New York City in 2000 something okay there's equipment there there are all these, there's all this gear. They, sh they should be able to test for everything and real time show, okay, here, you look at this, here's the data, everything is okay. Here are the, all the possibilities that, of bad things that could be in the atmosphere for those workers. We're testing for all of them. And people say, but it's expensive. And I'm like, you know what, that's, terrible shame on you and if it's expensive then just have them wear the best masks ever to if it's expensive to remediate it's expensive to what i mean these are people's lives so i i just don't know how you can say that and if the equipment exists how do you not have the very best there to look out for these people's health and well-being so our little group we're kind of poised Austin Horace's friends have these cool masks that he could go wear and pass out literature and uh, they also they track the chemicals and then you can send them have them tested so I kind of feel I, I at the last meeting I'm like well then we should go do that like today like right now and then um and people are like, well, the, they're doing it and they're listening and blah, whatever. But I know I talked to Ben yesterday and I said, okay, you guys better make sure that they're testing for everything because otherwise I think we have to go down and do something mm -hmm. because our friend Keith Babalor has the cancer. And, you know, what are we waiting for? If they're not wearing masks, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so that's, um, now I'm starting to think, oh my God, I'm sitting here talking now. I should be down there. <laughs> we, also, there's a thing called the Bucket Brigade. 
they give you they give you these I think that's like three thousand dollars maybe you should get that you get this balloon and so you go get the air but I guess we'd have to have like 50 of these bucks <laughs> and then you send the balloon filled with the air to San Francisco to this company and they can process and test for everything maybe we need to do a fundraiser for 300 yeah. balloons and test them all over the <laughs> we're just workshopping ideas as we speak yeah I mean you have to that's how it works. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people. I'm like chasing butterflies. You know, it's like I get an idea and it's like, okay, do this. And then somebody's like, yeah, but we've got to do that. And look, get all the cats fixed. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, <laughs> trapping cats and getting them fixed. I'm like, wait, I was doing that. No. <laughs> well, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say about Greenpoint? Um, yeah, actually, um, one thing I'm really excited that. Um, so I was talking to a friend um, half a year ago or so, and she's like, what are you working on now, or what are you excited about? And I said, oh, this air quality group, because almost all of my friends are people like me. We're all trying to make things a little bit better. I mean, I remember there was a Native American um, saying, because you know it's so overwhelming, but there was this one saying, it was like, it takes billions of raindrops to smooth a stone. And I always thought, okay, just be a damn raindrop. Just try. <laughs> so if you're one raindrop, that's a better than not doing anything. And yeah, so maybe the difference that you make, maybe it's not everything and it's not, but it's something. And it's a little bit better than it would be. So we, we just have to keep trying. Right. Um, but anyway, my friend, uh, sorry. <laughs> So my friend said, oh, you're in this air quality thing. Oh, I have these friends who are like sea captains and they have this idea about moving freight in New York City by boat. And she's like, you wanna meet them? And they could you know, get trucks off the road. And I live three or four houses from a truck route. I'm like, yeah, sure, hell yeah, I wanna meet them because that's amazing. And I want to hear what they're doing and see if there's anything I can do to help them, like get community support or whatever. So I met them and I saw that their business plan needed help. You know, I could even tell that. Because from, you know, our, our neighborhood is beautiful in that we all work together and we've learned how to organize and strategize around thing around things. And I thought, oh, when I met them, I figured they were gonna be like like super like it's a startup and they're really sophisticated they're really cool and they're super well-meaning and that's why I adore them um, and they're expert marine people and uh, they have this great idea and their intentions are very good they want to um, they, they see how badly polluted the city is and their initial thought was Oh, in the Hudson Valley, these people are growing these beautiful heirloom tomatoes and these precious lettuces that are organic in their backyards, and then they're bringing them down on heavily polluting trucks. And they thought, well, we could bring them down by boat, and that'd be so much better for the environment. And they went to the EDC, the Economic Development Corporation, which is part of the, you know, works with the city. And the EDC was like, yeah, that's cute, that's nice, but we have real problems, like we have serious problems. At Hunts Point, where most of the city's food comes in, in the South Bronx, 
there are 15,000 trucks a day. 15,000. It's worse than here. We have, what, 38% of the city's garbage now? That's a big improvement. It was a lot worse when I moved here. So that is an improvement. Only 38% of all of New York City's trash. Woo! Yay for us. Um, but, and then with all the new buildings, the towers going up and more people, more people, oh, they're saying um, delivery in general is going to go up 46% within the next 10 years. My, my son, I'm like, dude, like, go around the corner. We don't have to have cat food. So we save $2, but we have a truck bringing cat food? No. We'll buy local. <laughs> but the, you know, it's interesting watching people have everything delivered. And I really try to shop local when I buy things because I feel like it's a small thing you can do to make your neighborhood better. And it's cooler. They're cooler stuff. I mean, my gosh, look at the people here and what they're, how lovely the shopping experience is, connecting with people. And yeah. So anyway, um, I digress constantly. Well, it sounds it's like terrible. a really interesting idea that could have some real impact in the, the city yeah, and so in Greenpoint. Short sea shipping. We're 100 years ago. The river was an active highway, and now you see an occasional ferry. But we could start using boats, and yeah, 15,000 trucks a day in the South Bronx. Those poor people. I mean, I can't even imagine. So they're upset, and they got, I think, was it the Sheridan close to um, trucks, and now the Bruckner's going to follow, or the other way around. I forget. But the city is panicking because uh, the traffic is getting worse and worse and worse. Also, New York City is a more attractive place to live. People are flocking to the city because it's safer and whatever. Um, so we need, I, I feel like we need this. I mean, they're talking congestion pricing now. That politicians never want to touch that because they're worried about the, you know, they worry about that. But I care about the air quality. So, and I feel like plenty of trucks now, I mean, we, you know, uh, oh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought again. Okay, so anyway, short sea shipping. Um, yeah, so I started to think about the Hunts Point situation and I looked at, and, and these G-Ship guys in general, and I thought, well, they need to start somewhere. They haven't started, they haven't made a delivery yet. And we've been working on this for a couple of months because it takes quite a bit to get going. You need investors. <laughs> you need good practical ideas. You need people to buy in because something new like this is hard. It's hard to get people to think about something new where dollars may be concerned. It may save money in the long run, but it's a question mark at the beginning. So it's really hard to get people to, to buy in even though they love the romantic notion of it. And they love the environmental uh, you know, impact, how it could help environmentally. But um, I thought, well, this neighborhood should be uniquely suited because we have so much waterfront. And the Hunts Point thing, I thought, oh gosh, I was looking at Gutman's property and he has the barge bar there, but there's also a pier on Noble Street. And I thought, well, what if we had boats bring the food from Hunts Point 
to that pier and then had Austin Horses trikes, which can carry a quarter of a ton of freight, take the food to the restaurants by trike. And then on your menu in your hipster restaurant, where you're serving organic la-di-da, it can say boat to bike. My food got here from Hans Point from boat to bike. No trucks, no fumes, whatever. So there are some people, and, and again, in terms of organizing in our community, we have Babar, Brooklyn Allied Restaurant and Bar Association, or Bar and Restaurant, oh, Association, uh, whatever. Um, they're inter I mean, I've talked to some of the Babar um, members, so I'm hoping to make that connection. Because wouldn't that be lovely? It'd be so rich. Yeah, and to have a little farmer's market there where we could go buy our produce right from Hunts Point, fresher than getting on a truck, sitting in traffic, puffs of black smoke, going from store to store to store to store, these trucks. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to get rid of trucks. We shouldn't get rid of trucks. We need trucks. But fewer trucks would be better, I think, for everyone. And I guess they're having a hard time finding truck drivers. Um, so um, another idea was I thought about the, uh, all the developments, these big towers going up. And I thought, gee, uh, what if their building materials were delivered by barge? Even cement. You can, you can have a cement barge come in. I mean, it's, it's humanly possible. So why don't we try? Because we could cut down... It makes such a huge difference. And I'm trying to pitch it to developers. So we had a really great meeting last week with one of the developers who's really seriously considering it. That's great. And uh, I told them, so we can, and I also told Jack Gutman, you know, we could count the trucks and promote for you guys, let people know, like, we say this is how many trucks are not on this heavily crowded truck route because of you give them thank them for taking trucks off the road also soil elevation for after sandy some of these developments they have to raise the elevation of their soil like seven to ten feet so all these trucks fill the soil i mean it's more particulate matter and you don't know where that soil is coming from and what was in that dirt but barging it wouldn't that be better so the reason i'm i really want to help g-ship i mean many reasons but I really feel like that that could that could help that could be a meaningful a real thing taking those trucks off the road and activating our our marine highway such a neat idea Jane well I know well I can do it thank you for sharing your story and for all the work that you do in our community I mean I feel grateful to live in such a, a vibrant wonderful community with so many incredible people who care. I mean, we all care. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I mean, that's a great gift for everyone.